Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house... A creature was stirring, and it wasn't a mouse. What the hell are you doing in my house?
Claus. I'm Santa Claus. Where the milk and cookies? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next Real on True Story FM. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Friday after next is over. We was on our lunch break. Craig and Day Day are getting something they never expected. Jobs. Daddy, how look? Like a damn snitch. Yeah, boy. If there's any problems, you just blow. And this is your booth. Keep it real, huh? We top flight security of the world, Craig. We ain't no damn top flight security of the world. Damn. We Craig and Day Day. Andy, uh, Friday after next. So when we ended last week, you and I did not have a great experience with next Friday. Is that fair? No, that's fair to say. Not great. Uh, And I had told you uh, in the lead up to that conversation or at the end of that conversation that what I had heard was that Friday after next was better than next Friday. So, Andy, I stand here before you just a guy watching a comedy about dope. And theft. And Christmas. And Christmas. What did you think about Friday After Next? I agree. I do think it was better than next Friday. I do, too. (laughs) I had a rollicking good time. Was it as good as Friday? I don't think it was as good as Friday. Was it really fun? Did I laugh uh, out loud watching the film alone? A true testament of a great comedy? I did. I laughed out loud. Alone. <laughs> I think you may have found it funnier than I did, but oh. I still I still do say it was better than the previous entry in this franchise. All right. Well, let's start there then. What do you think if you were to characterize the uh the what made this movie funny to you compared to the last movie, where would you start with that conversation? Well, I, I feel like we talked about with Next Friday, the real problem with that script is they had an incredible opportunity to take what they did with the first film and now move it to the suburbs and give us kind of the crazy craziness going on in that neighborhood. And what they did with the neighbors, the the um, I can't remember the brothers' names, but uh, they just kind of gave us this real these you know kind of criminal antagonists and it just it kind of just took a lot of steam out of other opportunities that they had with what they could have done with pinky what they could have done with some of these other neighbors to really kind of give us a story of the suburbs which would have been great they succeed in what they failed with there by giving us a sense of the people who all kind of have these well some of the people not all of them who have shops in this strip mall and uh, to that end i really enjoyed what they did they also give us a little bit of the neighborhood where craig and day day now have an apartment and so we get so i i felt like i had a lot better sense of the people in the story and i enjoyed And that's what I think the franchise is strongest with, is when they give you kind of these these real people in the neighborhood in just like these crazy situations. I mean, obviously, they're really amped up comedy, but at least they felt real in the first film. I bought into those characters. In this film, I felt like it was a little more going down that road, even though the story, you know, they they take the story on some pretty uh, crazy turns that I think gets to be a little silly, a little on the silly side. And um, some of that stuff did not work for me. But on the whole, I felt like where they succeeded was giving me characters that I actually found to be, you know, big, over-the-top, crazy characters that were, they didn't always work for me, but I felt like I, a much stronger connection with them than I did in the previous film. 
I did too. And I think the characters that were introduced in the previous film, the replacement from Smokey to Day-Day, uh, become fully realized for me in this movie. I think Day-Day, uh, Mike Epps' Day-Day, showed up in this movie in a way that he didn't in Next Friday. I laughed at him constantly in this movie in a way that I just didn't I didn't connect with in in the previous. I thought he was he was great. Especially did you, uh, when did you love first, Day Day? When he first gets his uh, uniform and, and is on the job yeah. and is just like stopping everybody. I mean that was like okay I'm I'm totally digging on Day Day and the way that he's reading his job and now his his attitude with or his relationship with Craig who's just like what are you doing you are crazy like that was a lot of fun when he he goes on to and yells at the the four old carolers yeah. <laughs> the four old ladies caroling right. out in front of the liquor store and ta- yells at the kids and everything like that was a lot of fun i i thought that was a side of Day Day that uh, I, they they kicked it up because he he was kind of this kind of this cowardly character and I think that's there but I think that the way that Mike Epps played him when he's a coward but now he's given some sense of authority by having just a, a strip mall security shirt all of a sudden it like does something to his brain that that's I thought right was it makes funny. him world class top flight security professional <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> I love it because he's kind of in this movie. I, these two together, Ice Cube and and Mike Epps, Day Day is essentially Craig like missing a frontal lobe. Right? There's something <laughs> going on where he just he's he just does whatever he whatever he wants, whatever he thinks. And I I think it is uh, I think it's really funny. And I think together they're really great. And I feel like Craig too. Uh, Ice Cube played him in a much more sort of involved capacity. That was a major you know a, a critique we had of the last film that we you know what was his purpose it wasn't even his movie the last movie yeah, right. this was absolutely uh you know craig and day day and their movie together and i i felt like we were um we were in it uh, on the ride with them well craig they had a job yeah. yeah they had they both had a job they had right out of the gate they had something that they had to do together because this santa thief breaks in and steals a bunch of stuff including the thing that their rent money was hiding in and that puts them on to that gives them their their motivation for the rest of the film now they have to try to you know do this job successfully figure out a plan to get some money so that they can uh, pay their rent before the end of the day so they don't get evicted that was the uh, the momentum that we needed in the story which we didn't have in the last one because it wasn't his house he was just trying to help them get money so they didn't get evicted so it was it, it just didn't carry the same weight um, I, our nemesis too is another thing that they fixed yes. in this movie in so many ways. It wasn't as convoluted. It wasn't as crazy. There were competing uh, stories of, uh, con- you know, competing stories of the characters who were kind of out to get them and and uh, you know steal from the store and uh, sort of do them harm in the neighborhood. Uh, but they all made sense in the context of their experience in this strip mall. I have issues with the antagonists. I mean, the, the, the main antagonist, I guess we would have to say, is Miss Pearlie. The, uh, the, uh, she's not even, what is she? She's just the manager of she's the, the property. She's the complex manager. Yeah. yeah, so she's the one who is going to kick them out. And she's a pretty disgusting uh, older woman uh, that makes me laugh quite a bit. But she 
really uh, like she, she's the antagonist. And to that end, I think that she works as the one who she's they funny. owe money to. Yeah, she's funny. Yeah. The bit she has with uh, with Craig's dad, I thought was actually really funny. And when his mom um, came in and it, it kicks to this little, you know, high speed of them kind of scurrying around this little cat fight, that made me laugh. Like there was some good comedy there. Mm-hmm. But we do get a little complicated with the number of antagonists. And to that end, it it got a little, um, uh, it wore on me a bit because we have the Santa, the thief Santa. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the film, when we finally find out who he is and all this, it's just like, it's a nobody and they stop him. And that was really flat and lame. Can I, can I ask you a question though? Uh, At yeah, any sure. point, did you think that Santa was going to end up Terry Crews? Never. Oh, way too right. small body type. I didn't no. either. I didn't think that either. Not once. I just wondered if you did because. But know, I well, but I, was, I kept wondering. I'm, sure I'm like, you did. well, it's one of those stories, and this is why <laughs> it ended up being frustrating because it's like this is a story where you're going to have that Scooby Doo ending where they're going to pull the Santa yep. mask off, and it's going to be somebody from the story, and you're going to have a reason as to why he's doing it, and it's all going to make sense, and that's what I was waiting for. And at the end, it's just like, oh, okay, it's just some random guy living on the street or living out of a, a, like a, a, a foreclosed house. Uh, okay. And, and, and then they get him in the end kind of because, uh, you know, Pinky's limo driver crashes into him. It was just, you know, that was frustrating for me. And likewise, we ended up setting up this potentially really interesting story of what happened to the previous security guards nobody will tell them and then we find out that you know these the the little ladies their sons or grandsons i guess are are some thugs who you know after day day yells at them they sick their thug grandchildren on on these mm-hmm. guys and uh, but that never we never get any good resolution there either and so that was a really frustrating introduce uh, introduction of some potentially interesting antagonists who obviously did something to the previous security guards that we never really find out about. And I'm like, okay, but what's what's going to happen with that? There's got to be something. And the only thing that happens is at the end, when they're chasing the the Santa thief, they end up, for some strange reason, coincidentally running through their house. And, you know, then, then you know, this they kind of, these guys are the ones who throw the Santa out the window. And I, I don't know, it just all of a sudden, it just hit this point where I'm like, why are these guys in the story, it just, it was, it was, that all got me pretty frustrated. Okay. Well, I, I can hear that. I guess I understand that. For me, it, it felt like it was confusion within the bounds of the universe that they had set up and that these guys had a direct role in it. Like, I can totally see, given what the rules that they have built for us, why the, the, we're going to have a callback to the grandmothers from the very beginning of the movie, I, and and it's going to be a chase will ensue. Uh, I I bought that. Like I, I felt like that was a thing that that felt uh, in its way, in its Friday way, earned to me. Um, the the part that I did have trouble with, and and there are elements in this movie more than a few uh, that I struggle with in this movie because of how dated it is now. Right? Mm. It is incredibly dated this movie more so i think than the other two in the realm of sexual assault and uh violence against women and violence against men and like there are some there are lines in here that are um 
horrifyingly prescient when Terry Crews is holding Day Day and is in a sort of a chokehold and he says, I can't breathe. Like, there yeah. are just, that is just a, a chilling line watching this movie today. Uh, Terry Crews in particular, who uh, initiates a sexual assault in this movie. To have him do that, of all people, who has since come forward as a victim in real life uh, and and an advocate for victims of sexual assault, uh, is uh, it it was chilling. I found those kinds of elements chilling and and, uh, harder to stomach, I think. Well, and that is an interesting uh, thing, because I really agree, too. And honestly, I felt it quite a bit with the last film, too, where I kept going... Yeah, you know, honestly, even the, even the first one, but, yeah. you know, but I don't know. I felt like, you know, I don't know. You're like, that's not really a hashtag me too type of movie, is it? No, no not no. really. Uh, there's definitely a, a tone that these sorts of uh, films have that that are a little frustrating. Um, I do think that um, when you look at somebody like Terry Crews, that's an interesting situation that, you know, I would really be curious about a conversation with Cruz just to see, because obviously this was 2002, long before he went public, which I think was uh, 2016-17. Yeah, like many, many, many years later. And uh, we have uh, kind of a very different perspective because, I mean, here was a guy who in 2002 was, you know, you know, relatively new in his acting career, I think, but largely was known more for kind of the football and he had a persona. And when you have that type of persona, even if something had happened earlier in his life, it's like the sort of thing that you probably bury because of the persona that you are asked to portray at the time. So, yeah. And and so the question is this, unlike let's compare this experience watching this movie and and specifically with regard to, let's just say, the sexual assault stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you compare watching this movie that is an artifact in history to concerns around watching a Kevin Spacey movie? It's not a question that I think is complete apples to apples comparison because it's it's more the type of thing because you're comparing the story to a person's career, right? And and so I, I think that it's almost something that you compare more with something that, you know, has blackface, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of these community episodes or something like that that people are, are are banning now or Gone with the Wind or Song of the South or those sorts of things where it's like, okay, does this... Is there a place for this sort of thing anymore? And can you move past the fact that that this is this was uh, we'll just say maybe this was funnier then and still enjoy it on some level today? It's it is the the ever shifting target Mm -hmm. of uh, where you're balancing an entertainment form with kind of the realities and, and everything that you get when you step outside of that. That's the challenge. Yeah. And I, I think it's an easy question if if you're able to say, well, I can separate myself from the fact that this was 2002. I can, I can watch it in context for that. I can acknowledge that there are problems with it and move past that and say, you know what, that's, it is what it is. I'm not, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, I'm looking at it for what it is. I'm not going to, go past that but i am going to think about what it's doing and where where it where its faults are 
I think the problem with any entertainment, and I think this is why a lot of specifically animated sort of things get pulled, because I think that, especially with kids, but I think there are plenty of adults too, who when they watch stuff, and this it's it's become a thing with the film industry where people go to it specifically for entertainment, specifically to shut their mind off and just have stuff thrown at them, right? Mm-hmm that's that's kind of a problem you know you don't see a lot of people who are watching friday after next running out to watch you know go renting some ingmar bergman films or watching the next terrence malick film it's Mm -hmm. you know there's it's not necessarily the same audience and so i do think that when you have films like this that are really designed to just be sit down uh light it up and just kind of kick back and and watch uh watch a movie there can be some harm when it still is out there. And I mean, film does live and that's, it, it perpetuates that by continuing to kind of have a life after, um, after its release date. Uh, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's perpetually tricky. And that's why I think studios are still trying to figure out what to do with some of this stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what the right answer really ever is going to be i think it's just kind of a, really a case-by-case basis for each person right right because i mean these are these are guys both as and, and and i would say you know ice cube as an entertainer right not just as a guy who's making comedy movies here but also as a guy who has uh, you know spread his message you know using the an entire entirely different medium well, yeah uh, i would say and, beyond entertainer right e- i mean exactly full-on somebody who's vocally kind of speaking out and and yeah. has messages to say right right and he he uh he, you know pushing these pushing boundaries is stock and trade for uh for this kind of a of an entertainer and this kind of a voice and i think all of the people in this movie as comedians too as comics uh this is this is the tool set and i think uh um so you know for me i, I think i was able to separate a lot of that stuff it, it got harder when my when my kid came in and sat down next to me and said hey what are we watching <laughs> and we had to pause it and have that conversation yeah uh, uh, about you know how things have changed and how you know that that this is a comedy movie and it's okay for things to be funny as long as we can talk about what they mean and and what it does to have this kind of message you know out there in the world um yeah yeah, yeah it can it can be awkward you know yeah. my my daughter walked in right when miss pearly was grabbing <laughs> Craig's dad's crotch and and yanking him down onto her herself yeah. on the couch and it's like oh she's just like what are you watching dad it's like yeah 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 right right so it's yeah it's it's <sighs> interesting that um yeah it, it's it's a I don't know it's a perpetually challenging um element of entertainment and that's also the nature of comedy and that's why comedy is is the story type that most often one feels dated and two is you know is is frustrating because when it lasts and it lingers like things like trading places you start going gosh that just the blackface in that just is so inappropriate and it's just kind of it makes me feel uncomfortable to watch it now um but it still is a popular movie and eddie murphy's hilarious and and you know it yeah. still has lines that i love to quote and you know it, that's like the perpetual balance with with things like this and this film i mean it certainly has gained its cult audience because there is a lot of funny stuff in it 
We do have some new principles in the movie um, that I, I think are worth at least acknowledging the role that they play, which is, I, I think, funny. In addition to you know, John Witherspoon's back as Mr. Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Don D.C. Curry's back as Uncle Elroy, um, we have uh, Clifton Powell back briefly as Pinky. Um, we, we introduce uh, Cat Williams as Money Mike and uh, his uh, paramour, Katie Aubert, as uh, Donna. Mm-hmm. Very funny addition to the movie. I thought he was yep. great. I I do too. He <laughs> he had a very funny, just he fit well in context of what they're doing here, running the little, you know, pimps and hoes clothing store <laughs> in this little junkie strip right. mall uh, with his stuff. And he just, he clearly was having fun kind of playing this part of this uh, rather diminutive uh, pimp. The suits. Yes. And the guy knows how to wear the suits. He's well, and this is his first film performance. I think he mm-hmm. started out just kind of doing stand-up comedy, and that's really kind of what where he got his start. Um, you know, and and before he really uh, started moving into more and more films and stuff. And you know, he's one of those guys. He's had issues at some uh, one here in Phoenix where he shouted at a Mexican some rather awful things mm. and. <laughs> And you know, it, it's just one of those things. I, it's, it's, uh, it, it didn't do well for him. And um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where he is now with, uh, with stuff going on in his life. But I know he's had a lot of issues. Well, he is on a multi-city comedy tour, touring with some of the hottest comedians to take to date. And that uh, little bio was written by the vice president of Cat Pack Investments. Hmm. I'm assuming. That is also related somehow to cat. I'd assume they're not getting very far right now in this particular yeah. point in time. Right, right. But he did. Uh, he he has gotten some attention for Atlanta Alligator Man. That was the episode Alligator Man in the show uh, Atlanta, uh, which right. I have not watched enough of. I uh, hear it's really really great. I haven't seen any of it. You want to talk about something that hits above that that punches above the six star rating on IMDb? At Alligator Man, this episode is a nine out of wow. ten. How often do we see a nine? Not often. That's amazing. I'm telling you that Donald Glover, talk about a multi talented guy. Yes. Yes, indeed. Right. We don't. I, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on Ricky Smiley, the Santa Claus. Uh, you already mentioned he's kind of a nobody. Uh, but Maz Jabrani uh, as Molly, I thought was also very funny. He was. He was. That was. Uh, that was an example of a character that I wish there was a little more of. And and this is one of the things. Like I felt like. I don't know, and maybe I'm misthinking, but I felt like the attitude shifts towards certain characters in this film and the previous film weren't as strong or didn't happen at all, like in the first film. And like the way that things shift with him after after he gets beaten up and they see him getting beaten up and they kind of quit, they throw their things in and then they're like, oh, well, we're on lunch. And and then he fires them anyway, and they get all upset. And, you know, his dad says some things to him, like, uh, your camel outside's getting a ticket or things yep. like that. I'm like, gosh, we're going down a road all of a sudden that are like, why why are we going down this road? And, and that was kind of the last we see of him. And it just like, I felt like there was some, an interesting character there that all of a sudden just got just torn apart. And they right. just turned on him in ways I'm like, why are we all of a sudden 
acting this way toward him when they know he got beat up. I, I, I don't know. And this would have been a moment where they, and perhaps it boils down to Ice Cube's script, right? I mean, it, that could have been a moment where they said, hey, we saw you talking to those guys about the security guards. You didn't tell us that something had happened to the last security guards, and now they're threatening us, and they obviously beat you up. It, it's on you. You should have said something to us. You know, it, it, this, it, I think if a, with a stronger script, there could have been more sense with situations like this. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. The other perspective of that is is like you were talking about with with Cat and some of the issues that he's he has experienced. Like some of that, um, I, I think there is um, at least an effort to document in this movie in sort of a serious and comedic way the the um, sort of interracial racism, right? Yeah. that that this is something that's that's real and we're going to talk about it comedically because you know it's going to start with this is the guy who gave us the job and we're going to be excited about wearing our incredible outfits and we're going to be doing the job right now because we're amazing and then when it gets hard you know kind of true colors are going to show and that's a real part of um, the experience of being in the neighborhood and being in the, um, you know, being in the shopping center and being in this part of the world that, you know, I feel like we can't discount. Like, yeah, that, I, I'm just saying that may have been intentional. Not that your point is not absolutely right on. I think we they could have been a little bit more clear about what that connection is. It just, yeah, it just all of a sudden ends up feeling very hateful. And I just wish that there was more scripted reason other than them acting like it was now his fault, even though it was, it, you know, it's like... I don't know. It's just all it, the way yeah. that it was structured was pretty poor. But you're right. And that is something that they address, like even in the last film with the Joker brothers. Yeah. Uh, there, I remembered it that time um, with kind of the the Hispanic African-American relationships. And you you do have some different um, tensions. So, right. I, I, also, the other thing and you, you we talked about Terry Crews a little bit and kind of that that whole thing. But I did think it was interesting for a little bit, for a small minute, that they actually paint him as as a gay character. But then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, it's interesting because here he is, he's watching TV and he's getting excited watching um, uh, Tupac. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting this in in one of the Friday films. Okay, there's something interesting that they're doing with a gay character that I would that really kind of came out of left field. So that was pretty interesting. And so that it just it ended up feeling very disappointing when he, I mean, I loved that he saw Money Mike. I'm like this could be something interesting. Like what's going to happen with this? And all they did with it was turn him into like a prison rapist in the yeah. bathroom. And I'm yeah. like, "Ah, oh, you guys, yeah. there was a real opportunity to do something interesting with these characters here." And and they just they totally ruined it. And, you know, perhaps it's playing to the kind of the, you know, the you're always targeting your low end audience. And maybe that's what Ice Cube was doing when he wrote the script. But it just felt like they really ruined any opportunity to have justified any of that. Well, it was the easy funny. And uh, and as a result, I think, you know, it's stuck in its own trap of, of not not being able to outlive its own you know, place. Yeah. Um, but I do, uh, I do agree with you. And I think that, uh, you know, the, I, I think I had this additional sort of layer, which was how well do you think the the character was allowed to explore the transformation that happened to him in prison? 
right? Be- and and mm-hmm. how how hard it you know prison is. I think that was another opportunity in the movie through Cruz, uh, just because of how talented he is and how um, sort of I, I think introspective he is as a performer. Um, that that would have been a, a great opportunity to not just you know not just sort of make it an experience about oh there were just a whole bunch of men in prison and now he's gay um because that that again was was yeah, easy right um and i think i just think that the character was capable of more oh absolutely uh, I, I i felt like they and i felt like they were getting close to it too which was just, yeah. it was just disappointing that they then just bailed on it completely how well do you think then that they were able to sort of handle the relationship uh, between police and uh, you know the community? Like, uh, did you have any? Did did it give you any sense of uh, awareness as you watch uh, Joel Joel Miller and and uh, Reggie Gaskins uh, in their apartment and uh, the relationship between Ice Cube and as he's you know. They have their little exchange. Don't, you know, don't mouth off at me. I'm the victim. Right, right. I, you know, honestly, it was, uh, I found it nice that they included these guys in in the film, like actually seeing some cops in here. I was like, okay, this is good. We're actually getting police in here. And uh, that worked for me. The fact that we had them, they weren't necessarily effective all the time, but they were there. And I was like, you know, I felt like in some way, I'm like, maybe there's some something that cube is doing in his script to call out the whole idea that, you know, they're not always great. Sometimes they are just eating donuts, but hey, they are still putting the putting the thieves in the back of their car and taking them away and you know there was a benefit to that and i thought that was pretty interesting and i thought it was pretty telling that he also had them um taking you know, confiscating the weed only to be smoking it in their right. in their police cruiser right. in front of their house and do the whole puff puff give, <laughs> puff, puff, uh, just, give. <laughs> just, that that made me laugh to no end uh it, it was funny to see them in 2002 to see joel mckinnon miller uh, as officer a whole uh, and Terry Crews in the show together. They are uh, um, exceptionally funny characters as well on Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah, right now. Very so, funny. You wanted so. to say something else. No, that's actually, I was going to talk about the police officers. So. Oh, you were? Yeah, well, look, look at, at us. I know. Same page, man. Same page. You know, I, I do want to say, I, we should call out, we we briefly mentioned, you mentioned Donna, Money Mike's girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that is something else that does end up feeling like not quite, you know, fitting in with the way that stories are trying to go these days. I felt like Donna was just an easy script write just for Cube to get a cute girl in there that he could ogle. And uh, really, that's all she's there for. It's really kind of, depressing that that's it right and then later we have when pinky shows up uh he brings his three girls and you know they're spanking him on the ass and just all that stuff and i'm like "Ah, geez you know i I just felt like it was the baser level of script writing that he was doing and it didn't it didn't do anything for donna which was a real shame so it's it's frustrating that the the women are treated so poorly in uh, these last two films in particular. Well, and the the woman that is treated the best in the movie, I, I would say, is Mrs. Jones. She's back. And yes. she's in the movie for about a minute and a half. Well, she's at least got some, 
you know, she, she's got her eye on her husband, which, yeah, it had some funny moments. Uh, let's talk then one more about the relationship between Uncle Elroy and uh, Mr. Jones. Mm. They're funny. They and are yet, funny. This is another opportunity for, huh, how does that commercial work now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 15 seconds of it. That is one of those things, though, that I feel like transcends uh, uh, time. And and because that's a that's a gag that uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the barbecue restaurant and the tagline for the barbecue restaurant is slash was uh, barbecue. It's so good. It'll make your slap your mama. Right. And in the commercial, Mama turns around at the grill and Mr. Jones turns around and, and slaps her. And it felt very much like a Zucker level, kind of an airplane level yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, gag. And I, I, I still laugh at airplane. Yeah, I, it's weird because I felt like the, co- the commercial was the commercial. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, here's the thing. Airplane, 1980. Yes, yeah. 2002. 2002. That's so there's, there's also the difference. You're making something that feels like a 1980-level comedy from the Zucker Brothers in 2002. And it just, it, it, it doesn't end up carrying the same... Um, so just to know, make sure you didn't like it. You know, it was, I, I think my problem was, I, I, I rolled my eyes at the commercial. You know, it was funny. I loved that he actually, instead of saying brothers for B-R-O-S period, he says bruz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, bruz barbecue. And uh, so it had its moments, but I think the thing that turned me on it and turned me against it was when we meet grandma in the back cooking the barbecue sauce, she actually has a giant welt on the side of her face from being actually struck in in the making of the commercial. And that was like, oh, that seems like all of a sudden it it went a lot darker than perhaps it should have, because now it's like he hit his own mom and she's got a you know, she looks like she's been beaten. I'm like, this just all of a sudden got really gross. Well, which I wonder, is the is the message there that, you know, this is a, a a character and a part of the community that doesn't know what they're doing, that doesn't know the damage that they're inflicting on one another. Yeah. Like, maybe. I felt like that was, that's sort of the gift of the heart of this movie and this series when it works, is when you turn around, you realize, oh, Cube knows as he's writing this, he knows mm-hmm. that this is not just a vaudeville gag, that there are repercussions to actions, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and I felt like that was, um, I, I felt like that was noted in that sequence in particular for me. The, the place where I struggle with it, though, and this is a central sort of failing, I think, of the movie, is that I think Mr. Jones has once again deteriorated in his importance in the movie yeah. from the first Friday. And I, I wonder what is going on that Cube sort of forgot how to write this guy, because I think the the first movie, he was amazing. He was funny and goofy, and at the end, he delivered on the heart of the film. The second movie, there was none of that. The third movie, there was still none of that. And I thought, if anything, we get a little redemption. We don't get redemption. We get it that he's the guy who slaps your mama. And um, and so I, I struggle with it on that level. I thought it was um, I, it did not pay off well. That is a real shame. And I, I can't help but feel like having DJ Pooh's involvement in the script for the first film was the strength of that film. And honestly, I think that F. Gary Gray directing uh, yes. carried a lot of weight. And here, you know, we're bringing Marcus Raboy in, who is yet another 
music video director that Cube taps to to come in and make the film. And I'm just like, well, okay, great. But I feel like maybe instead of these first-time directors, um, you know, go back to Gray and bring him on to do it again and, and you know, kind of get a nice, strong script with DJ Poo and, and bring us something that feels... I don't know, it just has has a stronger feel to it, you know? I don't see in terms of Raboy's uh, work. He did Friday After Next. Is it possible that's the only feature he's done? Um, he did, uh, well, let's see, he did an episode of Platinum, an episode of The Life and Times of Marcus Felony Brown, which was a TV movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, then it looks like he did three more movies, Janky Promoters comedy film. Oh, that's um, right, yep. Yeah, with uh, uh, Ice Cube and Mike Epps, um, and then Pete Holmes, Dirty Clean, and Anthony Jeselnik, Fire in the Maternity Ward. I don't know uh, what those are. If they're yeah, they seem like comedy specials. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He's done a lot of comedy specials, and Mm -hmm. for everyone, from uh, you know, like you said, from Pete Holmes to Patton Oswalt to Jimmy O. Yang, who's amazing, Uh, and those are the the last two are on right now. I think you can get. I think uh, Jimmy O. Yang's on Amazon. Possible hits an Amazon Prime special, and Patton Oswalt, I think, is Netflix. So, like, they're everywhere, and. Uh, so I think he he really found his place, right? But yeah. it's it's this isn't an F. Gary Gray movie, right? right. Not even yeah. an early F. Gary Gray movie. Nope, nope. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, but I mean, hey, I like. But not it that than much of a one. shame. I still laughed. I still thought it was funny. Right. It like, ha- it had its moments. It had yeah. its moments. I I had a lot of problems with it. Still, um, they introduce characters that don't do anything you know mm-hmm. i i actually liked the pinky came back here but i felt like the way that that relationship yeah. was repaired question mark here no. was <laughs> i was like that what it's like yeah. oh no you know everything's good i'm like that that's that was, not good yeah that was terrible. terrible like that's how you're gonna do it i mean i liked the character more here because i mean i guess he's just given more but still i just i don't know i felt like another opportunity that cube could have done something um to to give us a little more and the other thing that i i really felt we could have done more of is and this going back to the first film like we really meet a lot of people in that in that neighborhood what what's going on in that check cashing place like we we see those guys um the, who are chasing them at one point go in there but we never meet people there it's like there there are a lot of different people in the, or the liquor store or wherever the the chrome uh the hubcap place wherever i felt like there were people in this block in this strip mall that we could have met and even if we just spent a little bit of time with it just really kind of give us a sense of the 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 relationships and the neighborhood of this community that we have in this little strip mall here that's the sort of stuff that i think friday exemplified with its strengths that we just don't have you have anything to say about our good glenn mcpherson behind the camera um hmm he did Rambo. Do you see connections between 2008's <laughs> Rambo and this? That is funny. You know, it's a Christmas movie. And so to that end, I think that they, you know, allowed themselves fun to put up Christmas lights in a lot of places to help kind of provide extra lighting and stuff like that. I don't recall anything special. It was no Pompeii. He also did Pompeii. <laughs> he also did Trick or Treat, which I yeah. actually enjoyed quite a bit. 
Oh, he's done a lot. Like uh, the yeah. guy's got a ton of of credits. Final Destination, uh, Resident Evil. He's been in the the Resident Evil. Yeah, uh, he did the last those. Resident Evil. Um, and it, so, I mean, it's not uh, it's not like he doesn't have an eye. It, this is just a funny. This is a funny movie given the rest of his credits. I think that's that's more where I would where I would go. Yeah, um, yeah. he's done a lot of like action horror and um, gore stuff. Although. You know who probably knows him is JJ. What uh, do you think? He's the DP behind Glee, the 3D concert movie, and Jay ran the cable cam on that movie. Oh, ooh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I, I will just say as far as the, I mean, obviously these films, the soundtrack is is kind of a part of it. And mm-hmm. I, the opportunity to do some Christmas music, I think, was kind of a fun shift. And so we had some some different Christmas covers that were kind of nice to hear here. So it was it was a nice little shift from the last couple. You know, I, I had a thought about why I was put in such a good mood, such a good spirit when watching this movie. You know my love of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I do love, I do know you love that, yes. Tell me you didn't get a little bit of that rush when the opening credits comes on. You know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a note that I had was I loved that they did like these animated Christmas credits. It was very fun. It felt very in the spirit. It was, uh, it also weirdly ended up fitting kind of the tone of the film. Um, and I, so to that end, like that was a great, uh, a great element to include here. Um, it's interesting because it is a Christmas film and we haven't really talked about that in the sense of it being a Christmas film. It's not like I hear people talking about this is Christmas vacation. They're going to put it on every year. Right. Uh, maybe not in my this circles. Maybe hard. some people are putting <laughs> Friday after next on their, on every year at Christmas time. But you know, I don't know. I felt like it could have had a little more, a uh, little more, you know, I feel like when you're doing a Christmas movie like Christmas Vacation, having something in it about kind of the the Christmas spirit or whatever is kind of an important part of that if it is going to be a, quote, Christmas movie. And so that's something that I felt like wasn't in this film that they could have done to really kind of just give it that little extra boost to make it something that I suppose would be an annual classic. That's a really good point, because what we have here, you know, halfway through the movie, I think, is the last bit where we have, you know, uh, Uncle Elroy dressed up as the reindeer and that that was craziness. Such a funny bit. It was such a funny bit. And uh, but the rest of the movie, it didn't have to be at Christmas. Right. There wasn't there wasn't much except for they have a great, you know, um, out for the Santa outfit right the beard yeah. uh, for the the you know running around stealing stuff we have a rogue santa um i i think they that was an easy fit to the christmas season but this didn't have to ha- take place at, at christmas and there was no sort of feeling at the end of the movie that anybody was transformed learned their lesson play ball right yeah, like you didn't right. you don't have any of that but i do love the opening credits and i think that the whole like black christmas vacation angle was really funny and uh, i think they um, i think they did that just right well, and I love that Uncle Elroy, around the part where he's dressed as the reindeer, he says, we ought to be celebrating Kwanzaa anyway. <laughs> That's right. And that That's that exactly just made right. me laugh out loud. Right. So it did have those moments. Yep. And uh, I, I think my favorite moment, um, one of my favorite moments of the film, actually, is when when uh, 
Mr. Jones is dressed up like Santa and he's got the kid on his lap and he's listening. I want the new <laughs> Xbox and I want every game and I want it tonight. And I want it. I, I know where you live, Mr. Jones. He's like, what do you mean, Mr. Jones? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was just, that was like legitimately funny. Here's my address. <laughs> I know where you live, Mr. Jones. <laughs> Uh, I, I think this was, you know, we've we've taken some risks with our second half here. There are a lot of movies that we haven't seen and a lot of movies that we we've seen number one, but not anything else. And <laughs> uh, and and so that makes this season a, a, a risk for us. I am still glad that we watched these movies, even though the second one did not live up to the first. The third one doesn't live up to the first, but just not as much. Uh, I I feel like they were. Uh, I I feel like it was fun, funny overall, and um, and uh, I I got more joy out of them than pain. How about you? Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing: that it's like when you're doing kind of stoner comedies in yeah. your movie series, you kind of already know what you're stepping into. I think that there is a certain type of film that you're going to be getting. And I I don't know. I guess I my hopes, having seen only the first Friday, which I think is pretty uh, pretty well put together film. I, mm-hmm. I like what they did with that one. I guess I was just hoping that the rest of the franchise would hold up or at least find ways to to kind of create as effective a world as that first one did. And I'm I'm disappointed that neither of those lived up to that first one, but I'm glad I saw them and I I mean I definitely had some laughs and so I think that's the goal. And I mean even the second one which you know we rated pretty low, uh it still had a few moments and it and if it wasn't for kind of the lame story of trying to get the money to save the house, like there were interesting elements with the the some of the people People and Uncle Elroy and stuff that it could have been so much more. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm glad that I watched them because there are moments that I laughed at. And, uh, you know, that's that's what they're for. They're just they're not classics in my mind, but at least uh, at least I know that they're out there. And, and if I see them on TV, I know I can get a couple chuckles out of them. We So now we're at the end of number three. We got to talk about sequels and remakes, Andy, not just because uh, there is rumor in the wind and controversy surrounding a sequel. Well, last Friday, we had, we'd talked about this series ages ago, but we were holding out because last Friday was always in talks. But then, unfortunately, John Witherspoon passed away. And uh, with that, I think the status of it's really been kind of, uh, you know, all over the place. And I think Ice Cube was actually hoping to get it going in 2020 on the 25th anniversary. But uh, with everything happening this year, obviously, it's not happening. And so I don't know. I think because John Witherspoon passed away, um, I think everybody's just like, eh, who knows what's going on? I mean, he only died last October. And so it's it's really put things uh, to the wind. But um, and then Ice Cube, you know, he's very frustrated because he's he's frustrated with New Line Cinema that they wouldn't commit to make the film while John Witherspoon was around. So mm-hmm. um, it's just one of those things. Honestly, it's it's a franchise that makes money. And so I'm surprised that they didn't. And I'm surprised that it uh, it was such a struggle to get to that point. I don't know what the holdup was. Um, but they did do an animated series, very short-lived, only eight episodes. Uh, Friday, the animated series ran uh, in 2007. That's and amazing. I did not even, I can't believe I didn't watch the entire thing to prepare for this. 
<laughs> well, you saw more of it than I did. I played on MTV2 for uh, for those eight episodes. MTV2? Uh, yeah. Hmm. The one Don't that, remember much that, else about MTV2. It was the one that when they uh, were shifting things around, I think, I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. I think I felt like MTV2 was showing more of the TV shows and then MTV was going back to music videos, but then MTV was showing all the TV shows. And so I don't know how they shifted things around. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know yeah, if they yeah. still have those two. Do they still do music videos on MTV? I thought all those were in Amazon and iTunes now. Yeah, right. Uh, or YouTube. Uh, YouTube. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, award season? This had to have cleaned up in 2002. <laughs> Just like uh, the smoke out of the uh, end of a joint, Pete, it's all up in smoke. There's nothing. It's buckus. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, all right. How to do with the box office? It made, a mo- made its money. Uh, yeah, Marcus Raboy's third film cost $10 million to make, a notch down from the past one, but still $14.2 million in today's dollars. Being a holiday-themed film, the movie opened November 22nd, 2002, the week before Thanksgiving here in the States, and in the prime window for holiday films. It opened opposite Bond's Die Another Day, The Emperor's Club, Eight Crazy Nights, another holiday film, Treasure Planet, and Solaris. This opened third and only stayed in the top 10 for three weeks. It did go on to earn $33.2 million domestically and 273000 internationally, not much, for a total adjusted gross of $47.6 million. That gives it an adjusted profit per finished minute of $393,000, the worst in the franchise, but still a financial success. That's amazing. That's yeah. like big money for a little movie like that. Yeah, and the, again, I don't know why uh, New Line... Uh, was being so wishy-washy about getting the next one going because it seems like a franchise that, you know, even if the script isn't that great, it probably still would have made its money back. All right, Andy, let's see how it works out on the uh, on the mat. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. You swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flickchart. You'll head straight into the catalog to this very movie where you can add it to your own list and see how it stacks up against ours. First up, Friday After Next or The Birdcage. Birdcage here. I will say The Birdcage. Friday After Next or The Host. The Host. I will say The Host as well. It's not, going, it's not off to a good start. Not off to a good start. Or The Young Girls of Rochefort. I think I'd watch Friday After Next first. I'll say The Young Girls of Rochefort. All right, here we go. One, One two, two, three. three. Scissors. <sighs> Young Girls takes it. Friday After Next, or everybody's favorite Diane Keaton film, The Little Drummer Girl. <laughs> Friday After Next. I will say Friday After Next. Friday after next or certain women. Friday after next. Uh, certain women is a slower film, but I, uh, and Friday after next has a few uh, moments of levity. I will say certain women. All right, let's do it again. All right, here we go. Uh-huh. One, two, two three, three scissors. Cow, Andy, for crying out loud. <laughs> certain women takes it. Friday after next or Rocky Five. Oh, Rocky Five. Rocky Five? Uh, which one is Rocky Five again? I'm so bad at these Rocky movies. I never remember which one's which. Is this the one with the sun, or is that Rocky Balboa? I keep wanting to say you remember the one with Bubba Hotep, and that's not. That's not who it is. Uh, it's it's 
<laughs> oh, uh, it's it's the one where he um, he trains the he trains the the big guy, the protege from Mickey's gym. He trains him. He takes him on as, oh, a, it's a, as street a buddy. Fight at the end, it was a, it ends in the street fight. That's right. Uh, Why can't I remember his name? Um, I don't know. It, uh, Clearly, I don't remember much about Tommy. That one. Tommy Morrison. Um, okay. Tommy Machine Gun Morrison. I don't know. I'm going to say Friday after next. Really? Uh, Even know, with the street fight? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I don't All know. Right. I'll take Money Mike over. <laughs> All right, let's Rocky do it Mike. again. Here we go. All right, here we go. One, One two, two, three. three rock. rock. Paper. Rock. Oh. Okay. You All win. right, there we go. Rocky Five takes it. Come on, Friday Tommy. after next or Outbreak. Uh. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Friday uh, after I'll, next. I'll take Outbreak. Oh, my goodness. Not thrilled. All right. Here we go. One, <laughs> One two, two, three. three. Helicopter. Scissors. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. Outbreak takes it. <laughs> Friday after next or dinner for schmucks from our recent Francis Weber series. Um, um, in terms of comedy movies, oh, God, geez, they both I think are so problematic. They are they're problematic movies. Yeah. You know, but I will say Dinner for Schmucks has a perfect scene when uh, Steve Carell brings the woman to the luncheon. Like that was that was the perfect scene. Jay Roach comedy right. direction. I'll give it. I'll give it to you. I have a feeling that's so, where you're going. Dinner for Schmucks. I'm gonna pick Dinner for Schmucks. All right, Dinner for. Oh, here you go. Look at this. Friday after next or next Friday. <laughs> Friday after next. I think we can both agree. Friday yeah. after next. Well, that puts it one spot above next Friday on our chart in spot 431 out of 460 films, which, uh, you know, it's about a 6%. I feel like the way you've talked about the movie over the course of the last hour has has tilted precipitously down. I think you like the movie less now that we've talked about it. I don't think that's true. No? <laughs> no, I think I, I think I felt pretty much the same. <laughs> From the start. <laughs> How did it end up on your uh, chart? Pete, I did tell you. I did think this was better than the last film. But it's you thought the last better. film sucked. <laughs> yeah, right. So it didn't have didn't have far to go. The last film I rated, it ended up at a 1% on my personal flick chart. This one landed in spot 4143 out of 4390, which is a 6% on my flick chart. It's it's really problematic. It has its moments. It does have its moments. And honestly, it deserves probably more than a 6%. But just like when I was ranking it, the, those crappy moments are the ones that kept popping in my head. So that's where it is on my personal chart. Where did okay. it land for you? Well, uh, it, it landed at... Um, I'm just seeing... Yeah, okay. So Friday landed at 187. Yeah, on Friday my went high. Yeah. That was, As I recall, that, was, that good. was a five star film for you. It was, and this one ended up eight fifty four 
out of 1456, which makes it a two-star or a 41%, which is close to two and a half. Like, that's that's close to right in the middle for me. And that's kind of what it felt like. I got enough laughs. I had enough of myself just sort of questioning, what did Cube mean by this? Am I supposed to find this funny or hurtful? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I found myself thinking through enough of it that I feel like uh, that that feels pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with a two and a half star and a heart mm-hmm. on this one and uh five star on the first one and i think i was right with you on uh the one and a half the other yes one and a half uh, on the last one so um yes pretty good spread i went one and a half on next friday with no heart and it's only a half step higher i ranked this one two stars but I did give it a heart. And I think there's a big difference between a one and a half with no heart and, and a, a two, two with, with a heart. A heart. Yeah. Because this this actually had some moments that I, I really just found a lot more clever and and fun and 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 light. And I think that it needed those. And I just I, it's frustrating because I I feel like Cube has it in him to do a little more. I just feel like he tends to fall on the lazy side with his writing and ends up just not giving as strong of script as he could. I think he could do a lot better. Yep. There's a little bit uh, of this movie that felt not quite finished workshopping. Not quite finished. Well, I mean, just as my last closing thoughts, I do want to say I think that it was a fun franchise to look at. And now it really makes me want to jump into the Barbershop series, which is another one that I I think that uh, I want to say his company was also behind those, the Cube Vision. It was. Yes, I was right. Mm-hmm. And I just I really enjoyed that first Barbershop film. And I heard that was another franchise that's really fun. And I'm curious if it kind of falls off the rails as it goes along like this one did. But now I kind of want to check check out those ones and see how it all turns out. So awesome. So what what yep. are we doing next, though? Well, we are uh, jumping into what should be a fun interesting glimpse into Oscar history. We are going to be looking at the films that were nominated for, I should say, the international films that were nominated for Best Picture. We've only talked about one of those on the show. There have been 11. And the one we talked about was The emig- the Emigrants, which was a, a um, listener's choice episode that we did a few years back. And so we're going to be looking at the other 10, starting with... Uh, Grand Illusion in 1938 and going all the way up through the most recent winner, Parasite, in 2019. Oh, I'm so glad we get Parasite on the list. We're going to have a lot of good films to talk about on this list with some also, I think, rather controversial ones. It should be, or at least one controversial one. It should be interesting, and it will be interesting to see how uh, things shift in the world of uh, foreign language films getting nominated as far as kind of what the rules were and everything. And, and, you know, did they also get nominated in Best Foreign Language Film? Did they not? I'm really curious to kind of dig into this little bit of Oscar history. Now, for people who are looking to prep for this, um, you have have you been through them all now? Have you did you clean up uh, of of the actual films yeah, that we're going to be your, watching? Yeah, yeah. I have watched them all now, and How, I am, if, do you have any commentary on any that might be hard to access? Um, no, I uh, so. 
the films that we are discussing are not too difficult to access. Okay. I, I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think the uh, if people want to do what I'm doing, which is a little crazy, I'm also watching just to more fully be able to have this conversation with you. I'm watching every film they were nominated against. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> And I'm watching all of the films that were nominated for Best Foreign Language Film that year, regardless of whether that you know the film we're talking about happened to be nominated or not. Now I will say some of the films on those lists are rather tricky to find, but okay. but on the whole, um, I, I don't know. It's been an interesting exploration, and I'm, I'm hoping. I mean, it's an awful lot of movies. I'm hoping I can get through it all by the time we uh, jump into that series. I guess we'll find out soon. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say when the movie ends, but clearly it doesn't ever, <laughs> the movie ever never ends. ends. It never ends. No conversation speed. <laughs> I, I got I to put another movie on. <laughs> when the movie uh, ends, our conversation begins. <laughs> Amazon giveth, Andrew. Oh, yes, they do. In the world of opposites, Amazon sure does. Oh, real controversy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, today, we take on the age-old question of Friday After Next, is it or is it not a family movie? Two right. Amazon reviewers weigh in. Let's start at the top. All right, five stars from DJH, who says, Last of the Trilogy went out with a bang. Family favorite, we watch it every Christmas break as a family. It's so funny. Cat Williams and Terry Crews made this movie. Okay, we have one weighing in for family movie. Sure is. Family movie. And to answering Christmas. our question, they watch it every year. Mm, mm, mm. Let's see what Amazon commenter here, Kitty Kitty, has to say. Oh, <laughs> one star, not a family movie. This is definitely not a family movie. I don't understand all the praise for it. It's very vulgar and trashy. If you like that, then it gets five stars for trash. Stars is spelled S-T-A-H-H-R-S hmm. for trash. I don't get into it, so five minutes was my limit. That was enough to hear every cuss word known to man and to fill your children's heads with enough sexual content to ruin any innocence they may have. You know, it'd be really funny if if here Kitty Kitty was like DJ H's granddaughter and you're getting <laughs> two perspectives <laughs> from within the same family. DJ H, oh no, the whole family loves it. <laughs> and she's just sitting in the corner. This is so vulgar. I can't believe my grandmother makes me watch this movie every year. I don't understand what Pimps and Hoes is all about. <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. 
If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.